Well, I, I have nothing to say about Fox News. To Fox News, the, uh, Fox News is like doing fine. They don't need any advice from me. Mike, look, we've already made the decision. Now, someone has got to go up there, rip the charges, and blow them. Under certain circumstances, we can't order you to go up there. I'm just laying it out for you. How do I get back down? Golf culture. It's uh, the middle of December. I'm John Podhoritz in New York, elsewhere in New York. Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Hi, John. How are you? I am pretty good. And in Washington, Jonah Goldberg, after one of his legendary six, seven thousand mile drives back yeah. and forth across the United States, went you know like like he is. Woodrow McCall in Lonesome Dove. I don't really understand why you. Uh, isn't that his name? Or is John, it McCray? Some, some pundits like to talk about the, how much they love the American heartland. Right. And some people like to show how much they love the American heartland. Some people heartland, like to right? drive through it at 80, is what you're saying. And then say they, well, they 80, really felt, no. they really, out of 80, at 80, and they felt the heartbeat of America as trucks whiz by them. As, as, and, and, and as let my dogs explore exciting new areas of, of this great country of ours. So, Can well, I ask you about this? Your dogs love America. I, we, I, I wanna, that, that, I wanna, we, that we understand. Can I ask you a question? This would be basically about me. Uh, this is a confession about me. Shocking. Rob's Shocking. also a big driver. Rob, you're also a big yeah, driver. Can I tell my story here? Like, um, Yeah. So this is a Kenny Genovese reveal here. I would drive across the country a lot with my dog. And we'd stop, you know, every, you know, 100 miles. So, you know, let her out, let her pee, let her chase the tennis ball. You know, just we'd stretch our legs in the various bucolic and gorgeous rest stops, of which I have to say the state of West Virginia has the most beautiful, just sort of staggeringly beautiful places to pull over. And and I throw the tennis ball for the dog, and every now and then she'd get the tennis ball, and she'd just go and take a steamy dump somewhere, you know, just on the other side of the rest. It's not quite technically within bounds of the manicured area where people, families would picnic, etc., and I would not pick it up. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would do that in my own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, this the, is that it? Is that it? I, what I just said to you is an invitation to you to explain what happens, what what your policy is as you're driving across the country. You're never going to be in that spot again. Yeah, so what you're describing here is what economists call the tragedy yeah. of the commons. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. No, um, I'm, I'm familiar with what it's called. <laughs> and um, I will tell you, like, one of the great things, not that anybody really wants to know any of this, but one of the, the great things about Pippa is that when she's got to go, she goes within six yards of getting out of the car. So it's usually right by a garbage can. So you pick it up and whatever. And the great thing about Zoe is she's a wild animal. So she goes way out beyond the tree line and likes to do her business in private away from prying eyes. And I feel no obligation way out in the woods right, right. to trek in there and find it. And particularly – stuff, right. So the, the, the thing – and maybe maybe because you you you're bi-coastal, as we all know. The, maybe you did a lot of cross-country drives in the winter. Yeah, but yeah. this was one. Of, this is like I think my first real winter cross country drive. Oh, okay, and um, 
I've gone on long drives in winter, but not like this. And like, it's a much worse experience in some ways. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's gets darker a lot earlier. Like, so when like you're driving in this in August or July, it's um, nine o'clock. Like it's it's like sun setting at night, nine o'clock, and you're already at your hotel or wherever your campsite. But like now it's just getting dark at four. And a lot of places I was driving, particularly on the way back, would get icy the second the sun went down, and that's a little scary. Um, but the good thing about the, the phenomenon you're talking about is no one's friggin' using those picnic tables for six months. That's right. So, that's like, whatever that the dogs true. do, they're free to true. do stuff. You know? The other thing I've discovered, and this is like more of a having a dog, and I, maybe we should mention that there are – this is not it was not an exclusive club of two anymore. Yeah. So yeah. So the so the, the the news is that as of as of yesterday, the Podhoritz family is now increased by one puppy. Uh, we have never had a dog. Um, we have uh, we have gotten ourselves um, an eleven week old Havanese black uh, with. Now, what prompted um, this? My kids begged and 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 begged. And it's been a crappy uh-huh. two years, as you may know. And we finally thought, you know, they deserve, they want just want something to love after, you know, masking eight hours a day at school. <laughs> and you ain't and, and we just we just thought, okay, you know, let's. Let's let's give this. We'll we'll give yeah. this a uh, we'll give this a go. Anyway, she is. Were you aware that the Havanese how is many the days? only breed considered native to Cuba? Yes, I, I was. I was actually. I mean, I read up on you know as 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 one does in the sort of weeks before one makes a move like this. I I read incessantly about different breeds and different. Should we do a rescue? Should we do an adoption? Should we do a get a puppy? Um, uh, and then. Uh, we zeroed in on a on a rescue adoption situation, and it was like one of those things where we called, and they were like, "Well, you know, she's a lovely, because she's really wonderful, but she has cancer." So, like, okay, I don't think, yeah, like they just discovered that she had cancer. You know, but like, I yeah, no, no, but it was like, so we were like, we'll drive out to the, we'll drive out to the SBCA in Westchester. It's like. No, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, she's really wonderful and she really does need a home, but we just discovered, you know, so it's like, I, I just don't think that's that's right for us. And then a friend of my wife's uh, actually lives on Staten Island. Yeah. Did, did, was it, was yes. it, oh, wait, before, wait, yes. just, can we just linger yes. for one minute on the cancer? I have a few questions about the cancer. Dog. Was there any moment where you're like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it'd be good we could have a are we bad because we don't like I the had, cancer dog? Is anybody did that ever come up? Did, there, is there any advocacy for the cancer dog? Is more so like, I, we don't need I, any trouble. In I had house. two seconds of that thought, and then I banished it from uh-huh. my okay, mind. Well, yes, two more than I thought you. I mean, yeah. I had that kind of martyrology going through my head about how you know this is mm-hmm. already going to be an enormous pain in the ass. So why don't we make it? Yeah, why don't we make it tragic, make it tragic. and then? Let the kids fall in love with a dog that's slowly going to die. We're going to have to put down in incredibly short order. Like, yeah, that that'll be a really wonderful experience. So, um, yeah. And then, and then this okay. uh, close friend of my wife's who lives on Staten Island said, "I just got these puppy. We got these puppies a year ago from this store." So me and I'm like, hey, "You can't go there. You can't go to a store. I've heard you're not allowed to. Like, it's a moral 
infamy to go to a store. It was like, no, 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 you can't go to a store. Yeah, can't. No, and can't. then it was like, no, this store like is a this is like a really nice store, and they have like they have a they have a, a, a beeline to a breeder, and 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 they 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 specialize in what we needed, which were hypoallergenic. Smallish dogs, way smaller than your dogs. That you know, we, there are five of us right. in a three-bedroom apartment in Manhattan that's about eleven hundred square feet, and so we couldn't take a dog that was going to be fifty, seventy-five, a hundred pounds. Like we just, it's too big, too much, not enough space. So we needed right. a small dog, and uh, one of my kids is a bit allergic, so we needed you know a, a, a dog that doesn't shed. So so yeah. this already limited our choices. And this was an amazing store. Like, we went in there, and they had these Havanese puppies. They had these mini golden doodle puppies. All of these breeds that are remarkably sort of, like, um, suitable for New York City living, even though where you when you go to Staten Island, most people are living in houses anyway, so I don't know why they need them small. But anyway, so we, so we, we, we ended up right. there. And then it was sort of like one of those moments where – I, it wasn't really – I didn't really understand as we walked in and bought it. Like, we were basically going to be taking this home then. I mean, we actually we actually waited a couple hours. Oh, we had to go right. do something, and then we came back. But it's sort of like you get the crate, and you get the you get this sort of playpen area, and you get the food, and you get the soft food. You get the hard food. You get the meal topper to make them eat the food. You get the – you get the the pads, and then they say, "Well, you know, she can't go outside. She can't go. Out. She can't walk." I'm like, "What?" It's like you can't walk her. Like she has to be she's a puppy, fully yeah. vaccinated, and she's, she's gotten shots. she's all yeah. up to date on her immunizations, but she's not ready to go out. She can't really socialize with her dogs because she might get parvo. She might but get you, she might get Don, Don Parvo. Yeah, you know, when, so yeah. like the the my dog had Parvo. You yeah, do not want your dog. Right. Okay. Anyway, so 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 you I never even heard of Parvo, and so um, and so then so then we're like, okay, well, the whole one of the points of this was to get animal and then like take walks with it or something. But okay, it'll be a couple months more till we do that. So she's adorable. She seems very smart. She actually did sleep six hours through the night in her crate without too much crying, which was pretty great. And it is very much like having a baby, uh, which I, which I understood to be the case, but I didn't really entirely feel was, was going to be the case. And I will, I will give you updates. And you, she looks like, by the way, she looks like, um, a throat. She looks like a very shaggy throw pillow. She's so small. She's like, Three, three and a half pounds. And if you don't see her face, because she's mostly black, she has like like um, gloves. She has like white gloves. Like two of her feet are white. Uh-huh. Like you, you barely know that there was a, a face there. But then she immediately took to treat training and she, you know, she she loves everybody and is very friendly and playful. And it's it's... It's great. I mean, the looks on my children's faces are indelible. So I, I've nothing, and I, you know, I right. for years I have done nothing but. So who's who's the primary? Yeah. Who, who's who's, who's going to walk the dog? The cat like, like have dog. you guys settled this? Yeah. Have, are you still under the myth yeah. that your kids are going to regularly? No, walk I don't. I, I don't. I, I I have absolutely no. Uh, I I understand that it's going to be me. Okay. It's mostly going to be me. Um, and the dog is already sort of seems to have selected me as the alpha, from what I can tell. Or the mark. 
you know, it's possibly the mark. Although, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. 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 right? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we'll see what we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, I will. <laughs> You're exactly. Well, a doorman isn't the, the alpha always? Doesn't the alpha then have to take responsibility for for the rest of the pack? So, so here. Yeah, yeah, I would say, well, the Havanese is a great pick for you. I mean, just like size-wise and all that kind of stuff. It is a little bit of a myth that size alone, like apartments need small dogs and big dogs are bad yeah. for apartments. I mean, I, I I get the argument at one level, like having a Newfoundland would be a terrible idea, just size-wise and slobber-wise yeah. and all that. But like a Jack Russell Terrier will destroy yes. an apartment in a way a Great Dane never yeah. would. Like no, a Great Dane, I'm, it sleeps on the couch. Yeah. yeah, and then you go outside with it, but they're yeah. they're yeah. mellow. They they don't destroy things. High no, energy small dogs, dogs can and be also, a nightmare. You know? I love uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. All, all dogs yeah. need exercise yeah. anyway. It's like you can't. Yeah. They don't run around like no, people I say. Oh, I had a big yard, yeah. so I have a dog. I had to be in a big yeah, yard. Right. Dogs don't run around yeah. in a yard. They they need to get. Yeah. You know, no, I give them a reason. I, to do it. Um, it's literally a matter of square footage, and I'm right. not talking about. It's like literally. If there were a dog that were, you know, four or five feet long, it's just like two. It's like two feet too long. We're basically, you know, tripping over our, each other as it is. So, I, I, one more piece of advice. Yes. Because thank you. Uh, I know you're not a big drinker, and I know you're definitely not a heroin addict. But with a dog that small, you want to avoid the Chris Moltisante <laughs> falling asleep on Cosette. Yes. Smooth and just yes. be careful because, like, yes. really fragile and like I, I, on them yes. would be very bad. Yes, I, yes, I can, I can, I can see that. And fortunately, yes, fortunately, my heroin, my heroin consumption has really markedly declined. You're you're going against trend during the pandemic. So that's that's what I'm. Doing. <laughs> it's, I'm always off. I'm always off yeah, cycle. That's weird. I am always off cycle. You know, I was an opioid addict in the '90s, like. No, like in the eight when it was when it crack, cool. when everybody was on crack, I'm on. I mean, it's like stupid. I'm. I'm always like this. It's like I was listening to Frank Sinatra I do remember, in the seventies. My friend, that's 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 the kind yeah. of person I am. Yeah. Did I tell you? Did I ever say that my my friend was a heroin addict? Once I asked him what it was like, it's sort of like I just didn't know. Like, what is it? What is it like? I mean, we we already talked about a bunch of different things and. And I, like, is it like uh, Percocet? Uh, other opioids, you know? And so, here's what heroin is like. Remember when you were a kid, and you went somewhere with your parents, and you were driving home at night, and you fell asleep in the car, and you were kind of vaguely aware of the turns that coming back to your house, but you were also aware that you could stay asleep, and that your father would carry you into your bed. And into your bedroom. And the feeling of being carried into your bedroom by your father and being carefree and being laid into your own bed, that is heroin. And I thought, oh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yes, you just me. made me. You just so made me <laughs> want heroin. I rarely have yeah, I ever yeah. wanted heroin. And that that was. And by the way, and you're, you're, yeah. at, you're, you're affecting of that sort of like night DJ voice. Rob just said like. It's three o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah, you got to do that, right? Yeah, that was that. Hey, that in itself was. I thought was, you were going for the dad who has said. to communicate. I'm picking you up now. I'm bringing you into bed, but not in a way that would wake them up. For the, okay, Rob, hold on. I'm bringing you inside now. I'm going to oh, care. It's yeah, going to be awesome. man. Okay. Oh, okay. We should do it's the rest good, of this right? podcast. Like good, that. Right? Yeah. No, I'm. I'm so relaxed now, and I didn't even need heroin. 
I used to do when I would do when I did my when I would do these martini shots. I would, by the way, I still do. Um, just I don't do them for uh, public radio. When I would do them for public radio, I would just warm up when I was in the thing, not doing anything, and I would say, um, uh, I would just imitate. I'm all things considered. I'm Renee Wertheimer. <laughs> I'm Noah Adams. <laughs> I'm Scott Simon. I'm Renee Wertheimer. I'm Noah Adams. I'm Scott Simon. And I did it, and then suddenly someone came in to the business. I'm sorry, what are you, what's going on in here? I'm like, oh, I'm just warming up. I'm just getting ready, waiting for Ray to come and record me. I'm like, oh, okay, because it's distracting us, because we can hear it in the other room. And it sounds like you're in the other room. It does sound like you're playing all things considered over and over again. I'm like, yeah, right, because it's easy to do. I'm Renee Wertheimer. It's all, you know. I'm no Adam. If only we were recording all this because it's gold. Uh, it's total gold. It's crazy gold. gold. And you know what? I'm going to jump to the first ad before we talk about anything substantive. And it's for the X Chair, uh, also a sponsor of the Commentary Podcast. So I read this ad a lot. And I got to say, it's different now because we're talking about Christmas and the holidays and how you deserve a gift. And maybe what you need to do is give yourself a gift that give, keeps on giving you joy and comfort every day all year long, a gift that looks as good as it feels, and a gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you'll be at work. I'm talking about giving yourself the gift of an X chair. I absolutely love mine. It's by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair. Ergonomic, not ergonomics. Ergonomic chair I've ever used. And honestly, it's also probably the coolest looking piece of furniture I own. Not only is X chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and can either cool or warm your back. Can your office chair do that? I don't think so. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. Buy early, buy now. And here's X chair's holiday gift to you. Save 100 bucks off your X chair by just purchasing it. At xchairglop.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, G-L-O-P.com. Xchair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairglop.com and save xchairglop.com. So I got to tell you guys about the most surprising thing that happened to me in the last month, uh, which is that I went to see on Thursday night, I went to see... West Side Story, the new Steven Spielberg version of the... And you thought and it was it's, mess, as I recall. It's magnificent. I, I don't know how else to tell you. Oh, okay. it is magnificent. magnificent. I haven't liked uh, a movie like this. I haven't loved a movie in this way in a very long time or been kind of blown away by a movie this way. And and I know you guys haven't seen it and... and um, it's interesting to me because uh, Spielberg and his screenwriter Tony Kushner have altered West Side Story, which is like made the equivalent of $400 million when it came out in 1961, and it was shown on TV probably one of the 10 movies that most Americans over the age of 50 have seen, I would guess, are, more, are, are most likely to have seen given... Uh, its success, its constant re-releases. The original the one. The original one. Oh, yeah. Jonah, have you seen the original um, one? And, you know, if you... But I think most Americans, if they haven't seen the movie, they've seen the right. play because every high right. school in America... And I don't think I've ever seen the play. Uh, well, I saw... I've seen uh, it twice, and I saw a version of the musical on Broadway in 2010 that was spectacularly good. Um, and and reminded me and made it clear to me actually how awful 
1961 movie is. It's awful. I hate it. Bizarrely awful. I should I should say to uh, to people just so you don't have to say it if you um, read John's review which we'll put as a we'll link in the show notes um, you, the first the first couple paragraphs of your rave for the new West Side Story is a is a unequivocal pan of the original and all almost all well no, okay all no two the great performances there are two great performances in the original Rita Moreno as Anita and Russ Hamblin as yeah. Riff the head of the the head of the Jets, the white, the white gang. Um, Rita Moreno is in this movie in the same role, which is amazing. You know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's right. No, she is almost. Yeah, she, right. she, yeah. They, the when they filmed it, she was eighty-eight. She is ninety today, as we're recording this, and she plays the role of the old shopkeeper, who is the Friar Lawrence character in, in Romeo and Juliet. The one who is sort of like the voice of reason in the movie. Like, why do you kids do this? Why? Like that. And and um, they revived. What's interesting is that the original movie was made as a ripped from the headlines, like episode of Law and Order in 1961, made on location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Juvenile, juvenile delinquency and on location yeah. and 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 vivid and and they had knives and they had guns and they were right. and they were kicking each other and they were referring to marijuana and 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 almost cursing you know they would almost curse they would say bugging right. but what's what's and frickin yeah it's like wow the Norman Mailer, that's yeah, exactly, like yeah, the yeah, 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 fuck, yeah, yeah. The Norman Mailer novel, yeah. fuck, you know, yeah. fucking this in World War Two. Um, so, but as I, but I still feel like that. The most interesting thing I can recall about that play is the, in the movie too, is the Officer Krupke song, right? Which the juvenile delinquents uh, sing to Officer Krupke, who the the local beat cop who just wants them to not die. Um, Makes fun of mm-hmm. every liberal piety. Yes, that still exists, by the way. It's like all of the things that they make fun of, you still hear. Like it was pretty much part of the uh, the, the discourse during the the, yeah. the the summer riots that we had two years ago. Like it was, yeah. and they are making fun of it in a way that's like incredibly yeah. Pressing. Lyrics kind of yeah. kind of Joe Rogan kind of twenty seven year old Stephen Sondheim. Uh, who, of course, died right last a uh, couple of weeks ago at the age of 91, and you know the the culmination of the song as the boys uh, pantomime or pretend to, to go through the various stages of their juvenile delinquent society's efforts to deal with their juvenile delinquency. Right? They go to a social worker, they go to a psychiatrist, right. they go to a judge, they deal with Officer Cruppy, the cop, and they say, right. Imagine writing that when you were 27 in 1957. It's kind of amazing. And so what they did in this movie, which is so fantastic, I think, I mean, not that they could have done it otherwise, 
So the movie's made in 61. It's ripped from the headlines, Law and Order. You watch it now, and it's ridiculous. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. Right. They look ridiculous. They act ridiculous. You don't think any. They're wearing bronzer, you know, all these, yeah, uh, you know, thing. people are wearing bronzer to look poor. You know, Natalie Wood is wearing bronzer right. to look Puerto Rican. It was in that old, um, that, yeah. Lena Horne once, when she was uh, did her one woman show, she said when she was in movies, I guess in the forties and fifties, that she was she's black, but she didn't wasn't black enough. So they had to go to Max Factor and come up with a makeup hue that would make a black person look black on screen, and they did, and it's called Light Egyptian. <laughs> and apparently everybody in on West Side Story the yeah. movie was wearing light Egyptian. That was the name of the makeup. So I, what I want to say is that that movie, even if you love it, is ridiculous. It's like a period piece, right? Like anything that is an effort to be a reflection of present-day sociology seen from the perspective of 50 years later, like just makes your eyes roll with the ludicrousness of it, right? So... This is set in 1957, right? It is not ripped from headlines. It is a period piece by design. Right. And they've done something really brilliant, which will be interesting for Jonah, uh, which is that it's actually about the construction of Lincoln Center. Huh. The movie tells the story <laughs> of the tearing down not a good of line, the entire way. neighborhood in the West 60s in Manhattan, which was cleared through a famous and nightmarish policy called slum clearance, much of the area between Amsterdam, Columbus Avenue and 12th Avenue from 57th Street to 70th Street was raised, was torn right. down. 20,000 people displaced in order to create this ridiculous arts campus sitting in the middle of the city that New York never needed. New York was a no need of a centralized arts campus when it already had a functioning opera house, it had a functioning ballet house, and it had many theaters and many libraries. It was a preposterous grab by, you know, then fashionable liberal ideas of how to make life better in the city. And tearing down all these slum buildings and putting up, you know, better housing, which is now basically housing for rich people. Lincoln Tower started as middle-class housing, now sort of housing, you know, like condo co-op housing for people who can afford, you know, a two, two and a half million dollar apartment. And so the villain of West Side Story is liberal social policy. <laughs> so don't <laughs> see it. It is about the evil of slum clearance yeah. and how and how... All of the things that were going on in the world of fashionable liberalism, though it makes no point of this, in the right. late 1950s, exacerbated the very tensions that they were supposed to, they were designed to alleviate. Ethnic strife, conflicts between teenage kids, that kind of thing. All of that was made worse because people were being evicted, people were being thrown out of their homes, right. people didn't have anywhere to go. And so the idea that you needed to protect this turf that was take, being taken away from you by these two gangs, the Puerto Rican gang and the white gang, that makes real sense now. Like, if you watch West Side, you're like, what are they fighting over? You can't come onto my block. You know, it's like you, 
It well, doesn't you don't, matter. You don't really understand gang warfare anyway, Charm. So it's not like I, that's what kept you from joining a gang was that you said, hey, fellas, <laughs> what's the big deal with the thing in the street? No. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, anyway, it's very interesting because Tony Kushner is a socialist. He's a communist. He hates America. Uh, in many, many ways, this is a brilliant screenplay, and this is a brilliant it's, rendering and reworking of a... Of that is, in fact, very cheering to hear, especially the Tony Kushner part, because, um, he, he, you know, his his great, most uh, um, famous masterwork, I guess, is Angels in America, which is this 9,000-hour play where you have, you, have to, you have to go have lunch and then dinner in, while you're watching this thing, um, if you see it all in one day. And the first two are kind of compelling, really compelling. And the last one, it's like pure nonsense in which there are giant monologues. It's such a period piece, this thing, where the giant monologues, but one character turns together and says, here's why I think Gorbachev is so exciting and so revolutionary. His, his policies at Perestroika, are, and he actually gives you like an hour-long monologue about how Perestroika is going to be great and Gorbachev is really the savior. And you watch it now and you think, oh, Tony. Yeah. Well, again, period and piece, right? How, Ripped from the headlines. That, like, it was about, you know, yeah, how AIDS yeah. was going to change everything. And we were, you never really understood what it was that the angel was supposed to be bringing to America. But I, what I mean is that, yeah. what I mean is that it just, it's a yes. nice sign that, like, you, 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 he's, you give him the right material and you give him the right, I think, probably team, yeah. including the great Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um, you end, what do you end up with? You end up with something that apparently is very, very good. Anyway, ever, but John, what is your theory about why it's bombing? Well, my theory about why it's bombing is that nobody wants to go to the movies. And this is a movie for adults. Ad, ad, adults are afraid to go to movie theaters. Um, and it'll it'll have legs. Like it made $10 million this weekend, which was very disappointing. Um, although it's interesting because In the Heights, which was the other musical made by a major studio uh, largely involving Latino characters in New York City, which came out in June, made $11 million. So it could just be that the plots involving Latinos in New York City are not of any particular interest, even if they're pre-branded like West Side Story, to most of America, which could basically not give a crap about difficulties and tensions in New York City the way maybe once they did. Um, and in some ways, In the Heights uh, did better because In the Heights made $11 million and was on HBO Max at the same time for free. And West Side Story is in the theaters alone and yeah. it made $10 million. But it'll have less. So like, it'll prediction? Yes. Yeah. It's going to sweep the awards. Right. It's going to be a huge thing. They're gonna, they're, it's going to be West Side Story, West Side Story from January, February. It'll, it'll, it will, it will um, hurt. The old, the 79, 78-year-old Steven Spielberg's feelings, because he still lives in the world. 74, I looked it up. 74. Um, it, it'll hurt his feelings, but I think it'll be incredibly valuable to the a very hugely valuable property. Anyway, it is, it is just sensationally good, and, and it, it, mm -hmm. it fixes various things from the original movie, most especially the horrible lead performances. I am just glad. That Christopher Walken and R.J. Wagner killed Natalie <laughs> on that boat, so she didn't have to read the mean things that you said about her. In your I reading. did not. I said that she was egregious, but I said that Richard Bamer, her co-star, and perhaps somebody who emerged as the lead of West Side Story out of Jerome Robbins' bed, because I don't know how else this guy got this job, as okay. he couldn't dance, he was dubbed as a singer, and gave as Tony. 
the worst lead performance in any, like, legendary movie ever given. I mean, it's the lead performance, and he knows his nostrils are flaring, and he's awful and hideous, and he's terrible, and he's not even singing. What do you mean? And so Ansel Elgort, who plays the part now... um, You don't like him either. No, he's a, he sounds, his voice is beautiful, and he sounds, and he and Rachel Zegler, who is the find, one of the finds of the 21st century, and Spielberg, talk about, like, the use of an old guy using social media. Spielberg found Rachel Zegler on YouTube. Well, it somebody was, sent him a clip of yeah, her. Yeah, but it doesn't matter how he found it. It's off YouTube. She hadn't, she wasn't, like, even in... Yeah. What does that mean? Off you? What does that mean? What did he? What did they? What did? What was? Somebody said you got to see this sixteen-year-old girl singing tonight. Tonight, like her parents filmed it. She's from Hackensack, New Jersey. Was she auditioning for the role? No, just doing it. No, according to the stories, they contacted her. She didn't even have an agent. Wow, it's like she didn't even exist. Yeah, no, exist. I mean, so <laughs> she was no, she it's an amazing, it's nobody. an amazing, functionally a surf. Right. So she, she was just singing aloud on the internet. But, hey, my wife is an agent, so you keep quiet. That, now we're saying it's a, the power, Mike. So my question to that is like, and she, I mean, yeah. look, I'm, and I'm going to say another unkind thing, about who? right? About, about the, me? this girl, this girl, no, no, okay. Um, uh, I like her. Her parents put her. They filmed her in. I don't know if it was her parents. Every okay. kid in America like, is on like, YouTube or, or TikTok. Right, right. But, like, you know, I don't know. Those, that's got to be some piece of work. Okay, anyway. Me, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, the sing. Do that. Do tonight, tonight, now. Do it. <laughs> you are. I don't want that is, Do it. That is. Rob, to, Rob, YouTube today is like what a little corner cabaret high school musical would have been in the movies of your youth. Yes. Where some producer discovers someone singing while cleaning up some bar or something like that. Instead, it's on YouTube. Now people sing for 16 seconds on TikTok, (laughs) and they, like, my wife was at this concert. My wife and son were at this concert on on, on Friday night, the Jingle Ball. You know, it's sort of like one of those Motown reviews. They have, like, 10 or 12 acts singing around Christmas time, all poppy, you know, really for teenagers. So there, and you know, one of the lead performers is somebody named Dixie D'Amelio, who is the sister of the girl who kind of made TikTok, whose name I can't remember. Charlie D'Amelio, something like that. Charlie D'Amelio, sure. like the the great, the big breakout star of TikTok. And this is her sister, who sings in fifteen second increments on TikTok. Was one of the two leading performers at this concert at Madison Square Garden that sold 20,000 tickets. Like, she's literally sings. It is true. Anyway, but it's weird. So Rachel Zegler, he finds her, must audition her, you know, constantly do a lot of stuff. Cast, no, she got to read. Cast she got to read for the role. She so. is, I mean, she is dazzling. She is like, I mean, it's kind of jaw-dropping. How good she is. Like Audrey Hepburn, who was in, you know, who made like one of the great debut performances in Roman Holiday. She'd already been like a star on the London stage. She had starred in the play version of Gigi in London before right, she got cast right. in Roman Holiday. This this girl hasn't done anything. And she like, it's like she appears as this like supernova in this one movie out of nowhere. It's just, you know, every now and then. You look at a guy like Spielberg, who also found Christian Bale, by the way, if you remember. Christian Bale was a 14-year-old kid he cast in uh, 
Empire of the Sun, which is a movie about the Japanese takeover of Shanghai and in the late 30s, and this kid who goes into a prison, uh, you know, a POW camp. It's a pretty great movie, and Christian Bale gives one of the great screen performances in it, and he also had never Wait, acted. now we're talking about Christian Bale? <laughs> he had never acted before, and Spielberg found him, too. Why are we talking about Christian Bale? So Spielberg, kind of no, we point. talked about it. I was looking at that, I was like, literally spacing out. And I you know why you're spacing like, out? Now we're talking about Christian Bale? Jesus, come on. I'm talking about Christian Bale because Steven Spielberg found Rachel Zegler, and he found Christian Bale, and you never think about Steven Spielberg as a great director of actors. Who has ever thought that Sp- mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg is a great director of actors? He got great things out of that shark. He got yeah, great things out of trick. the three guys on the boat. <laughs> Think about the scene in Jaws when Dreyfus. But now you're saying shy- he's a good actor. I am saying he's a great trick. director of actors. Nobody ever. Everyone says, "Oh my uh-huh. God, he's so great with dinosaurs." Look at the rolling ball in 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow, you know. Blah blah blah. He, you know, he 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 makes World War II come alive. He makes, you know, he makes the Holocaust. He pays tribute to the victims of the Holocaust. He's actually a sensationally good. He's a, one of the reasons he's a great filmmaker. Even though he makes a lot of bad movies, is he knows how to cast them like nobody's business. It's really, and he casts a guy named Mike Face, who is a Broadway actor, to play Riff, which is the part that Russ Hamble played, who is sensationally good and. Another Broadway actor named Ariana DeBose as Anita, who is, like, as good as Rita Moreno. Like, it's a, just an amazingly well-done piece of work. Go see it. I'm sorry I'm the only one who's seen it. And now I have to do another ad before I bore Rob to death. Uh, too late. Okay, well, you know what? Check. You're, only bored, you're only bored because I'm movie. saying something interesting. And you're you all you want to do is be the Grinch. And this holiday season... Unlike you, I want to give a gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship that Rob and I share. <laughs> That's why I'm giving everyone I care about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? Or in the case of me and Rob, what performance in a Spielberg movie do you like the best from the least known actor? After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. Reading the weekly stories helps connect you with loved ones, no matter how near or far. With StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love a most thoughtful personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to StoryWorth.com slash glop and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash glop to save $10 on your first purchase. We thank StoryWorth for sponsoring the Glob Podcast, and I just can't wait to see what Rob's StoryWorth questions are for me. So um, I'm going to change topics here. Well, go, ahead, go ahead, Rob. Do your thing. No, ask no, him what I, kind of tree he would be if he could be no, a tree. No, I, I was going to say, like, well, I, don't, I don't have to ask questions. They just have to sit and wait because we'll get to it. If we talk about Walter, uh, uh, we talk about West Side Story long enough, we'll eventually get around to Christian Bale. So, like, um, um, so you know, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts when I was driving cross country, and um, on the way back with the Fair Jessica, we listened to this um, podcast. It's the podcast, sort of the podcast ver- version of the book, The Devil's Candy. 
about the making oh, of um, so Bonfire of the Vanity. That is so good. Yeah. That is so good. That's um that's the TCM. It's called the Plot Thickens, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you really like the podcast? I love the Plot Thickens podcast. I'm not a big like non-political podcast listener, but the the all the TCM podcasts in this in this Plot Thickens school of podcasts. That one on the Devil's Candy. They did one on Peter Bogdanovich. And they're doing one now on Lucy on 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 Lucille Ball, whom I actually don't like, but the podcast is fascinating. And that one about the Devil's Candy is just sensationally good. Yeah. So, like, I, my wife and I, we enjoyed it. I learned a lot of things from it that were interesting to me. I thought it was I, I, the Julie Salmon. Sal, is that your Salmon? Name? Yeah, the person Salmon? who wrote the Devil's Candy, which is about the, the making of Bonfire, right? Yeah. Right. Um. Her voice sounds very much like Rob's NPR host impersonation. It drove me crazy. No, no, the other one, the highly nasal one. I'm winning. There you go. That's her. You nailed Julie Salmon. Okay. And um, and I also thought it was kind of, it was interestingly structured and you again full of interesting things, but in the in the joints, kind of badly written and like there was just a lot of. Bad metaphors that didn't work and that kind of thing and kind of drove me crazy and, um, but it was interesting. You know, about thirty five years ago when you first started talking about West Side Story, um, yeah, remember one that? of the things you were saying was how like maybe it's just that a New York movie just doesn't sell outside. And it was interesting to me in this Devil's Candy thing about how one of the the things they told themselves about maybe how they screwed it up was the country didn't want to see a movie about New York. And I thought this was such a hilariously stupid self-serving kind of like, oh, that's where we screwed up. Given that some of the greatest movies that have ever been made, New York City is one of like, is like the, the extra character to it. And like, the problem wasn't that it was set in New York. The problem was it was was a badly made movie, and Brian De Palma right. was the wrong director for it. But it was anyway. It was just really really interesting. I thought it's also a bad New York movie, Bonfire of the Vanity. That's a, like it's, it's a bad movie. That happens to be everything New York, right? about it feels false and off and wrong. So it's a it's a New York movie. Everybody, everybody involved in the movie lives in L.A. Yeah, I remember when they were making it. A friend of mine was actually working at the time for for um, Terry Semmel, who was running the studio at the time. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was, uh, it's, it, it's actually interesting management. I mean, the problem with all those books about Hollywood uh, written from, uh, especially from, from, by reporters who are writers who are working at Condé Nast, right? He was working at the it's journal, though, have, but Wall Street yeah, Journal. Okay, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, like, they have this attitude about Hollywood's crazy. It's, everybody's insane. And then so they write with that kind of stance ahead of time. So everything that everybody does, you know. Studio Chief Terry Terry Simmel glided through the studio gates <laughs> and reached out and drank his uh, bottled water. Everything is like kind of cast as some kind of strange exoticness. Instead, it's really just a, it's just a story of like ad what what happens with a collaborative project where everybody's waiting for someone else to take the charge, and that person happens to be somebody who really is inappropriate for the job, Brian De Palma. But it's you know you got a bunch of movie stars in it. And everybody's funny, and like, well, it's a huge best-selling novel, so this all should work. And I mean, as a management story, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I was flying back uh, from Italy, Italy, 
as they say. And there's like a million movies on the plane. And I'm going through them. I'm like, there's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. Um, uh, uh, a Bridge Too Far. Ah, I like that. 1974 yeah. war movie, World War II movie about um, this terrible, uh, disastrous plan to take the, the Arnhem Bridge over the Rhine. Oh, no, no, no. I've, okay, I was thinking of a different movie. Yeah, Bridge Too Far is kind of a mess, right? It's kind of a mess, but it's like it's, like, it's, it's fascinating. It's, 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 it's fascinating. But everybody's in it. Everyone's it, but I guess like literally everybody's in it. Yeah. Like one interesting thing about it is that like it is right at the time in American history in the seventies when people were starting to think, well, you know what? These military dudes make a lot of mistakes and they are pretty wasted wasteful with human lives. And so this this was sort of a sort of deep cynicism to this movie. Um then the second thing that's interesting about it was that Everyone's in it, and they're only in it for a little bit, and and then there are there are star moments, so that we need somebody in like two thirds of the movies were for two and a half hours, so you, about an hour and a half in the movie, two hours in the movie almost. They need someone who's going to go and swim across the river and go and get the bridge, and they who's going to do that? We need somebody, and then you saw you see you watch um, uh, the young Ryan O'Neill, who's for some reason a general, he looks twenty two, and he's walking, he goes, hey. We need you, or something like that. And then the camera pans around, and look, looking up from his shoes is Robert Redford. Yeah. You haven't seen Robert Redford the yeah. whole movie, but he's like, oh, you, this is his entrance. And then he's, he's in the next, you know, 11 One, minutes. Not, not even 11 minutes. As I recall, I remember this very vividly. Ro- Robert Redford is in this movie. He, uh, This is a famous, like, runaway production, like, and it ended up costing yeah. the equivalent of $200 Joseph million. Dollars. Right. Presents, yeah. yeah, right. And it's him rowing in a boat across the river, saying the Hail Mary. That's that's all it is. Hail Mary, that's full of that, No, that's a shootout on the bridge. Okay. And stuff. I mean, he, 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 okay. Basically, yeah. you can see that he's got his yeah. plane. He does a couple <laughs> yeah. of days. Yeah, exactly. He fell so, and he's out. Right. Gene Hackman, yeah. too. Oh, they're all, it's, it's amazing to see all these stars. They're all great. Yeah. But yeah, it was like the towering years. inferno, only only but an anti-war yeah. movie. Right. And because 10 or 12 years earlier... Daryl Zanuck had made The Longest Day about D-Day, and it was like this right. crazy, it took two years to make, and it bank practically bankrupted the studio when he made it, and it right. was, and it, against all odds, it ended up being this enormously successful movie that also had, like, this cast of all-stars. And so, basically, Joseph E. Levine decided that he was going to do this with this other book by the same author of The Longest Day, Cornelius Ryan, which is a story about a military failure, not right. not a not the not the greatest Allied triumph, you know, of the of right. the war, and then cast all these people in this runaway production with this very with Richard Attenborough, who is a stilted director, and like, you know, it's like, it was pretty surprising though. Who I mean, wanted really to was, see that? Uh, like, but it was of a time where I think in a culture that the the movie going audience or the culture was ready to see a movie that was that reflected kind of the the lack of confidence in the government and the military which people were feeling by 1970 but apparently yeah the problem is you want to do that about korean war or the vietnam war you don't want to do it about world war right yeah (laughs) yeah right because world war ii is the movie you're supposed to feel good about you knew about world war one world war one yeah you weren't supposed to you know even even in those days there was something sacrilegious about saying right you know the the allies screwed up. Well, they blamed it on Montgomery. So that was right. the one. Yeah, thing I remember it being really mean to him. Yeah, 
Anyway, um, anyway, you're. It, it, I love watching those sort of art seventies artifacts, particularly on planes. Like every now because mm-hmm. there it it is. Particularly if you sort of grew up, one. then it's a yeah. it, it it has this weird. Um, you're kind of transported in time, and you remember things like movies. Then were supposed to end on a down note, like the the classic Hollywood movie well, in the 1970s, basically ended as a as a as a downer, like or you know with a kind of devastating emotional finale. Like that is what. So every now and then, a movie would a great break out of this, yeah. like Rocky, and then people were like, I love this Star so Wars. much. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> the movie. Yeah. He's like a nice guy. And I, you know, and then remember in Rocky, he actually loses the fight, though you barely right. know that because you don't hear in, them uh, say it. In the magnificent picture, Earthquake, which is still one of the great movies ever made. And my one of my favorite, my favorite disaster movie, yes. sure. At the at the end, the only way to save the, the to save the city is to flood everything. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. They had to flood everything. Yeah. And uh, uh, Charlton Heston and a- Ava Gardner are in the somehow reason they're in the sewer. And um, Ava Gardner is going to die. She's going to, and she's a horrible wife. She hates him, and they've been manipulating him forever. Her her father's Lorne Green for some reason. Her father is, I think, six months older than Ava Gardner. Uh, in real life at that point. So, like, Ava Gardner is Haas's sister, right, from Bonanza? Because, yeah. like, Haas was, like, <laughs> yeah. like a year and a half yeah. younger yeah. than yeah. his old. Yeah. Um, gee, Haas, two words, sunblock. Um, <laughs> so uh, she's in the, in the, in the tunnel. And, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to give away the ending to Earthquake. And, uh, and he's got a choice. As the world, as the waters swirl around, he can go to Jean-Vierre Bujold, who's his girlfriend. Or he can go and save, try to save Ava Gardner, but in fact, it would be certain death. And he chooses Ava Gardner, and they're swept away. And um, uh, and then there's a huge crane shot, and George Kennedy, who's like was the I think by act of Congress had to be in every single one of these movies, looks around and he's walking. He's walking away from the manhole cover or the ditch wherever everybody's been drowned and the city's in flames. Gigantic crane shot, and he says to somebody, I forget who he says, he goes, "This used to be a hell of a town." And, you, and that's the end of the movie. I, it's so you're great. telling me so that great. my story about West, my my peroration about West Side Story was boring. Unfortunately, is that, you, John, is that what you're we saying? We actually have Zoom tells us how long <laughs> when you finish. Yes. Your conversation, yes. your your conversation yes. of one about what uh, West Side Story. Well, I can't story. help. We are minute forty four. I happen to know. I happen to know, Rob. That you went to a movie on Friday night because I asked you to go to dinner with me and you said you couldn't because you were going to a movie and you didn't go see West Side Story. If you had seen West Side Story like I told you you should, we could have had a conversation. And and I didn't see a movie either. So you just didn't want to have dinner with me. No, I did. I now I'm, I'm really remembering that, we, that there was a plan to see a movie, but instead, we, uh, dinner uh, dinner intervened and got uh, got distracted from after dinner. Dinner, by the way, at a fantastic new restaurant, which is really really delicious, and I and I can um, we circle back to your claim that <laughs> that you say that Earthquake is your favorite disaster movie, which I, I think is a defensible yeah. position. Don't get okay. me wrong, right? Okay. But right. when you're watching Earthquake. Do you like it as a movie, or do you like it as sort of the camp of it? Like, do you think do you think it's a legitimately on the merits better movie than the Poseidon Adventure? No, no, no. no. Okay, okay, no. Well, that's better. A better okay. picture. No, no. Uh, and I actually feel like the okay. Towering Inferno is a better picture. I agree. Than yeah. Earthquake. Earthquake is just. It's got it all. 
It's got it all. It's got it all. And, it's got it all. Bad. And it's got. You, and it's got and they knew what they had the when bump. they built it as having sense around where the theater would shake. Yeah. The theater, right? Shake. Which I was the very excited about. because they, not because they shook the anything. They the theater shook because of the the giant subwoofers they put in the theater. The theater <laughs> right. shook the way your body shakes yeah. if you stand too close to the speaker at a concert. That's all it was. I would be interested to see Towering Inferno again because I remember it yeah. being a legitimately good movie. Where I mean, The Poseidon mm-hmm. Adventure is probably <laughs> really? not very good, really, but it was very, uh, I think we've talked about this before, the central dilemma that is posed by The Poseidon Adventure, which is, are you going to be, are you going to keep your head and keep your resolve in the middle of a horrifying disaster because if you can, you can save yourself. But if you panic, you're gonna get killed. So who are you? Are you like the are you like brave and resourceful? Or are you just one of the people who goes, ah, and then gets hit by the wave? And I saw that movie when I was nine or ten, and, and I think it's a, true of a lot of people my age who saw it then. It was it, you know, kind of haunted me. Like, would I be one of the two kids who made it, or would I be one of the thousands of people who died when the ship turns over? And and no other disaster movie actually hit that sweet spot right. of like yeah, that, that you, you know, human choice. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in fact, Towering Inferno and even even Earthquake ended up being about. Um, uh, evil comp- corporations or or people cutting, cutting corners, corners. building right, code. Right. Yeah. They just didn't live yeah. up to code. And you save money. <laughs> yeah, and people are gonna die because you save money, and I'm gonna blow the lid. You, I think you need to think about this. You need to think about what you're saying. Okay, listen. The I wiring got is <laughs> faulty. Yeah, I'm gonna die. The wiring. Whereas in Poseidon Adventure is just like a big old wave or something. A wave hits a ship and Leslie Nielsen is the captain. And then and, and Gene Hackman is the hipster right. priest with the turtleneck. Right. And, and right. Tommy and that, John, and I bet he was so hip that Gene Hackman's priest was wearing Tommy John comfy underwear, wow. loungewear, and pajamas. Because if you're stuck on what to give your friends and family this year, you can wish them a merry softness and a happy new rear. Yes, I said happy new rear. When your loved ones start their day wearing Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable so they can do everything better. Tommy John's loungewear, luxuriously soft tri-blend, and micromodal fabrics mean four-way stretch and no lint balls or fuzz. With over 17 million pairs sold, giving a gift to Tommy John underwear and loungewear has become a holiday tradition for families all across the country. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Returns and exchanges are free. All backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear. It's free guarantee. Get $25 off site-wide, plus free shipping right now at TommyJohn.com slash glop. That's TommyJohn.com slash glop for $25 off site-wide, plus free shipping. Order now so your gifts arrive before the holidays. TommyJohn.com slash glop. See site for details. And we thank Tommy John for sponsoring the glop podcast. So, Jonah, uh, following you at the door at Fox... Though uh, not apparently for moral reasons, is um, Chris Wallace, uh, who announced this morning that he was leaving immediately on the 12 o'clock train, said said goodbye on Fox News Sunday, and that's it. He's gone. Vamoose, because he has an exciting new adventure. What do you make of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't – I'm waiting to hear the more of the background story on this. I, I suspect that if – let me put – Put it, I have to be a little yeah, yeah, shaggy yeah, dog about this. But if Chris Wallace thought everything at Fox was going great, 
he would have I I would bet he would have renewed his contract. Um and Fox would have asked him to renew his contract. But uh so when you say he didn't leave for moral okay. reasons, I think I think he felt like well, he didn't say um, he didn't say he was leaving. For that's right. Reasons, that's right. But it does. I mean, I, I think the way it is yeah. being read, interpreted internally, is that um, he had enough, and this was the moment. This was the propitious moment to leave honorably um, and simply not renew. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the second day stories on this are about. I mean, CNN plus CNN is. The rowing gobs of money at people to do CNN Plus stuff, and, which is their um, new streaming service, which right, premieres, yeah. I don't know, in 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 the first quarter of 2022. And Casey Hunt of MSNBC is going to be like the lead anchor, or something like that. Right. And they apparently offered Rachel Maddow twenty million dollars to come over to be the face of CNN Plus. So MSNBC paid her thirty million dollars and let her cancel her show, just not to go to CNN, which is pretty interesting. All these places are falling apart. That's what's interesting. I mean, Fox is not really falling apart, but uh, CNN, of course, had to fire Chris Cuomo, uh, which they should have done, you know, a year ago, uh, because, uh, and now Chris Cuomo is, like, making it very clear he's going to do what he can to drop dirty dimes on Jeff Zucker as there's a new merger that's going to take over CNN. Uh, Maddow is off MSNBC. Brian Williams retired from MSNBC. Um and uh, these places seem to have, on the one hand, they make gobs of money because they get all this uh, these licensing fees from cable companies. So they are kind of ratings. Ratings are nice and make Fox a little more profitable. But they all make money hand over fist because they get this money whether they're whether they rate well or they rate poorly from the cable companies. Well, but they, they still have to negotiate those contracts, and it still has a lot to do with the leverage they have with the the, the cable system subs. So it's it is like ancient you know watching the ancient empires are crumbling they're not but they're not fast enough that there's not a lot of money right but you still need to when you negotiate these things you still need to have some some muscle and if you are perceived as having declining muscle i mean look the, the the point is they'll say what fox will say to a cable system is fine you don't pay us the money we're going to take ourselves off guess what's going to happen guess what your viewers will say right um, so the ratings do matter, like yeah. they, and especially the passionate, the viewer will say, "Well, we, we're no longer going to pay for whatever yeah. the the cable company is because we we don't get Fox News," and I'm not sure that CNN and that MSNBC have that kind of pricing power. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. On the other hand, um, you know, one of the great advantages that CNN has is that most Americans don't watch cable news. Right. And when there is an earthquake or a cruise ship. Or um, a towering inferno, yeah, or any of those, those real life type things. I'm just, just trying to draw it all together here. Yeah, um, the channel or historically, the, or slum clearance. The, yeah. the channel that people rush to for quote unquote the news is CNN, or has right. been CNN because they think right. that's the news channel for the non news addicted. That's still CNN's brand, although I think they've wandered from it a good bit during the Trump years, and that's extremely valuable to them, too, because everybody wants it in their basic cable package, and it allows them to do that. On the Fox thing, look, I think Fox, and, you know, and as I said, you know, in, in the pieces that I talked to reporters about when, when Steve and I left, um, you know, Fox has just simply has decided it's going to ride out this model. And I was 
I think a lot of people at, internally at Fox, I had this conversation with lots of people, when they first launched Fox Nation. Which is, the streaming, the, which is a streaming Which channel. is their streaming thing, which is the thing that carried, you know, Tucker's Riefenstahlist nonsense about, you know, the January 6th yeah. being a state-run false flag operation or whatever. Yeah. Um, my assumption was that, that, that before it turned into that kind of garbage, that what they were going to do was ride out – they were going to use that to sort of develop a sort of a farm team to develop – you know, other products that when the era of Trump is over, is over, they can either mm-hmm. turn that into a new streaming product because that's where, where cord cutters are going anyway. And it dawned on them very, very quickly that 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 the Fox Nation thing is for the people who think 24 hours a day of raw. But it's it's for people who don't like their their heroin cut. They want it yeah. pure. Yeah. And that's a very um, nice way to put it. I yeah, mean, and, well, I would say they were they, they were just competing for stupid against Newsmax and OANN. Right. They like, yeah, oh, there's yeah. Well, money but, there, so you want some right, of that money. Right. Different ways to say the same thing, yeah, right? right. <laughs> In a lot of ways. And um, but the the thing the great advantage Fox has is that cord cutting is is happening, right? I mean, I've talked to Fox people informed about Fox's business model, and they know that that market is shrinking by three or four percent a year. Both from death of consumer, consumers because they're, like, they're so old, um, and from people who are cutting their their cable bills, their cable cords. But the Fox viewers are the least are, are they going to do the least likely yeah, to cut right. cable cords because they're older, they're more midwestern, they're not into the whole iPad you know life, and um, and they're the most addicted to that product line, and so. They're just sort of like slim pickings on the ICBM. They're riding it out as that model dies, and they'll make a lot of money for it. Does it very? It seems to me that is the smartest possible strategy. Because of course, nobody actually knows how the cord the move streaming um, is itself a very weird thing because you don't know where it's going to go, and are people going to even consume things? with these brands and what are these brands going to mean? And so Fox will be there. You know, there are these things that are going to be there. The networks will be there, you know, atavistically, the broadcast networks, you know, as things go down, sort of like how AOL survived because people never ever right. canceled their $20 a month. Because okay. AOL was making $240 million a year from people who didn't know that they didn't have to pay for their email address. $240 million a year. In cash, you know, so stuff like that will continue. But you know, it's three to four percent a year now. In two years, it could be twenty to twenty-five percent a year that the that the court is cut, and so this could all come crashing down really fast. And if you're Rachel Maddow, you've done a smart thing. You've taken a lot of money from NBC, right? Um, and you're going to do something else, and basically, when your contract runs out, you're going to like buy, you know, you're going to move to Mallorca and have a fantastic time broadcasting from your own website, which is what. Yeah, I mean, look, this is what I mean. This is show business. What happened to show business, right? The, the, everybody is realizing the thing you want. You don't want a piece of the upside because there's no upside and it won't be measured. You want the cash up front. Um, and if you can get the cash up front and then maybe get a bonus, if you hit certain benchmarks in the first two weeks, then that's all you want. Um, and that's kind of where it's going. That's kind of where everything's going because it's uh, it's no longer going to be about 
the ratings necessarily. It's going to be about how you can leverage the fact that people will like, want to have the news and get people to pay for CNN Plus, and then you throw in HBO Max, and you sort of make a whole big bundle of things you get that are like too complicated and too inter- entwined for you to really kind of sit down on a Sunday afternoon with the bill and your credit card thing and go online and remember your password uh, password and then un, un, unbundle yourself. No, that, that's the idea is to make it complicated enough. And it, the, the outcome, the, 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 the side effect of that is that it's very, very difficult for somebody to value their specific contribution to the bottom line. What's, right? yeah, so, what, what's also funny is, so Peacock, you know, which is... That, that works, by the way, that works for the other side, yeah. too. That it's very, very hard for the company to say, well, you're not valuable to us, and but we can't prove that. Yeah. So we don't really know. So we're going we're gonna to pay you some, something a little less than what you want, but a lot more than probably you deserve. Well, you know, so Peacock, which is the NBC streaming service, put on has two talk shows on. Uh, Zerlina Maxwell's show and Amber sure. Ruffin's sure. show. Okay. Right. We will never, we will never know whether anybody watches these shows. We will never know how to tune into these shows. Well, you have to go on Peacock, and then you have to want to watch. I'm out. I'm out. I don't know. We will never know if anybody watches them. And it's like one of those fascinating things where, when that, you know, there was that uh, collapse. Ben Smith did this piece about the collapse of Carlos Watson's. I don't even remember what it's called. This. Ozy, right? right, this kind of streaming channel news media business that claimed to have 100 million followers that literally no one in the world had ever heard of, right? So there's a whole world now in which there's going to be sort of like celebrity people getting contracts from these streaming services to do things like news programs, and we'll never know if they're any good. We'll never know if anybody watches them. And we'll, it, it's all like a shadow game. They're just in it to be in the business. And they've decided that there's no upside to telling anybody whether anybody watches anything. Except, you know, and so and so uh, I don't know how anyone's going to know what influence is really, you know, uh, or people who need to be told. And that's fine. Like, So can I give a, a weird little sign, like, I feel like 10 years from now, I'll look back on it and say, oh, that's why everything's terrible. Um, uh, The New York Republican, uh, the New York Young Republican Club, Mm -hmm. I just happened to catch something on Twitter, someone saying how excited they were to be there. And they posted a post, like the poster for it of like the, you know, this, all the stars, like it was a Jerry Lewis telethon with little headshots of, of this cavalcade of, like, major people who are at it. And just for the record, for those who don't know, the New York Young Republicans Club or whatever it's called, they, they, I went to their website because I was just sort of fascinated by this. They build themselves as the oldest and largest young Republican club in the country, right? They're very proud, allegedly, of their ta- their heritage with Lincoln. They're the oldest and, youngest. And... So we've been young longer than anybody else's. We've been <laughs> two of the big headliners are Paul Gosar and um, I should say Paul Gosar wasn't a big headliner, but um, who? But he was on. He was one of these cavalcade of stars. Another one was who's the guy from Texas who's a congressman? Louis Gomez. Um, no, well he was. I think he was yeah. on too. But who's the the black guy? Alan West. Yeah. Alan West. You know who's been made, making headlines in the last year or so for talking about secession, right? So you got. Paul Gosar, a crazy crank racist, 
and Alan West talking about secession, really right in the wheelhouse of the Lincoln tradition. But the thing that I thought was the most fascinating was um, about a half dozen of these people, not only had not I had not heard of, which is fine. There are lots right. of people I haven't heard of. But, like, one of them was America's first Bitcoin millionaire. Oh, and, sure. and, like, three or four of them were social media influencers. Like, that's all the, yeah. that was just their identity. And um, that, it just, it felt like the New York Republican Club has been taken over by, like, people who think the, you know, the Eastman memos are serious scholarship and, like, that, that owning the libs on TikTok or whatever, wherever these people are from is like, this now may, qualifies you as a celebrity. And it just makes me very, very sad. But maybe it does. You know, here's the interesting. Maybe it does. Yeah. Here's the interesting. Either way, it makes me sad. Whether it's true or not. <laughs> For the last 15 years, you go to the supermarket, you see the supermarket magazines, right? Whatever they are. Not that anybody oh, yeah. reads magazines anymore in the same way, though people do read commentary. Thank you very much for being a subscriber to commentary. And there are people on the cover, and you have no idea who they are. So it's like, and the reality will, stars will, yeah, but yeah. they're all reality stars, but they're also reality stars on shows. Will the selling sunset couple divorce and marry the couple from Flip or Flop? You know, it's like, what, who, what, you know? And so this coin, the coining of this new form of celebrity, um, there used to be a funnel, right? There used to be three networks and five movie studios. Right. And something. There was a funnel of a celebrity. There was like a like an assembly line of how to make a celebrity. And now that's all blasted all away. And anyone can be a celebrity in five minutes, and then the celebrity goes away, which is, I don't know why it's no better or worse than, than otherwise. And Scott wants us to uh, end this with a lightning round. Can you guys say he wants to deprive our listeners of the joy of this this podcast, wow, which has just been so up, upbeat and, and thrilling? <laughs> Everyone's going to love this one. Trust me. Anyway, when I, they'll love it. I think you're incorrect, sir. Okay, well, I, 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 you never know. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, what is, if you can think of, name one thing that you thought, uh, movie, book, TV show, whatever, that was the best thing know. that you consumed this. this year? All these years, I don't know. So it's funny. Rob mentioned that he wanted to ask us this at the end and, and screw this lightning around crap. Uh, I I went and looked, uh, you know, during the first 40 or 50 minutes of the West Side Story conversation um, <laughs> at the Rotten Tomatoes list of the best movies of 2021. I would say I have heard of 10% of them and maybe 25% of the best TV shows. Um, would you just sort of like have you have you guys heard about Spore? Oh sure, Spore. Spore, of course. Or um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, everyone's no. talking about Spore. Pixie, Percy Pixie. versus Goliath. No, Blue Bayou. But that's why you can't trust Rotten Tomatoes because it's like who knows who's making these choices. Yeah. So I'm okay, gonna I'm gonna go with an entirely conventional choice aside from West Side Story, which is probably the best thing I've seen this year. Although it's the last thing I saw, so you know I'm I'm still sort of in its shadow, but. Mayor of Easttown was the best television show I saw in the last year. I think with that really defensible, very good, very, very defensible claim. I'm going to go with WandaVision because it was like one of the, in the middle of the pandemic, it was one of these things that actually made me hopeful that you can do all of this Marvel superhero stuff 
in a way that has all, that is clever and creative and not predictable, mm-hmm. and that was a really great thing to see during such a crappy year. It was great. I loved WandaVision, by the way, but so I'm I also defensible. Rob, you got nothing? I got nothing. I, I saw the movie on the plane I liked. Long, the, 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 the Longest Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> the story I, of the Verrazano, The Longest Bridge. Uh, yeah, did, the, did you know that they made a TV show out of Chucky? I, I did know that. Really? USA has a show that's, yeah, that's the Chucky show. Because IP, man, it's all about IP. And we really need to find a, an, a what is it called, an SPAC or whatever it's called to, to, to take Glop out. Back. We need a SPAC to take Glop out. I think that's right. Don't, don't you think? Where's yeah. our SPAC? We, to take it out? What do you mean by taking it I out? I don't like it. We need, we need a SPAC to, to, to buy. Either are we going to buy Glop with the SPAC or is the SPAC going to back Glop in buying other things? You don't need. I think it should. The SPAC is there just to like the, so you could buy something else. Okay. Right. Well, what should we, what should we buy with our SPAC? <laughs> Heroin, according to Rob. There we go. There we go. That's what there I would suggest. Okay. Okay, Glop. I'm just carrying you in from the car. It's okay. You'll get the lie down. Fine. That's, that's how Rob's going to be talking to his Havanese for the next okay. five, ten years. That's me. Not Rob. John, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Rob doesn't have a Rob. Rob doesn't have a Havanese. Only me. That's right. Oh, what did I, did I say, John? Did I say Rob? I oh, okay. Well, yeah, it's the heroin. Okay. It's the heroin and the West Side Story conversation. The, Apparently, we bored everybody to death, so we're going to end here. Love you guys, even though I do. Apparently, I'm a I'm a I'm a terrible terrible drag. <laughs> Happy holidays to the two of you. I'm happy holidays to you all. Merry Christmas to both of you. I, I'm going to set your Christmas tree on fire. Do that one more time. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going to say, uh, uh, hi, Mom, because my mom now listens to Glop, and she gets mad at me when she hears listens to this and or my podcast, and she finds out things I should have told her when I called her. So um, um, there you go. Hi, Lucy. I got a dog. I apologize for both of them. Just a world, there's a
Ya voy, me estoy diciendo. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Sí, ok. 